0: If you can experience God in the midst of misery, then you are a secure and powerful person who will never be defeated and who will save many. The key to experiencing God in the midst of struggle is to expect it. Sure, we might want God to eliminate our trying circumstances, but if he doesn't, we should still fully expect his power and his presence in the midst of those circumstances. And this is one of the big keys to life.
1: Amém
2: Let's pray. God, we're here again to encounter you and we thank you for the Blue Water Ohana and all of the creativity and the offerings and the stories. It's so rich and deep about your love. Lord, I'm super grateful personally for how uh, loving this community is and that I would not make it through this time without the care and the words of encouragement and the love of my ohana here and we pray that that would roll out over the airwaves that wherever you are now you would encounter the love of god and we thank you for giving us what we need to go through this time and to do it well and to love deeply and to be generous and we pray for this the sermon that you'd inhabit your word that your truth would roll over us and that we would pick up what we need from the life of Paul and trying over and over again. Help us be those people of try, Lord.
3: In Jesus' name, amen. I'm Johanna Sang. I am primarily a distance runner, so I compete at state level. The deal was that I made with my dad, if I ran a certain time, at the 3000 meter state championship, then I would be allowed to get a tattoo. A few months later, my dad took me to the tattoo parlor without telling my mom. What? Yes. (laughs) (music) I have one tattoo and I got it last year. Um, and it's like a mountain range. It's in blue ink. I asked for blue ink rather than black ink. I'm always drawing on myself with pens and stuff during class, so it's pretty much just like that, except it's there all the time. Uh, Last cross-country season, after my team ran the state championship on Maui, um, and I did very, very poorly um, due to my terrible injury. I'd basically blown my hip out of its socket my team did quite well. I just wasn't a part of it, really. Directly after our race, we went up to Haleakala to do like a fun run there. But because I had hurt myself so badly trying to perform that last race, I could not participate, and so I ended up sitting in the rental car with my dad on the summit of Haleakala. Um, and I chose then that I needed to get a tattoo of mountains and drew these mountains on a paper napkin with a disposable pen so it would be an original design we tried to make it look like Hawaii mountains at first I wanted it just because I thought it was cool but then I wanted it because I thought it would be a meaningful reminder and even though it's kind of a cheap sense of empowerment it's still something you can grasp onto when you're having a difficult time and don't have A lot going for you. The tattoo of the mountain would remind me of my lowest valleys in life, not in a depressing sort of way, more like you were there once and now look at where you are. There were always peaks to follow those valleys. I also just like mountains. I like hiking and stuff (laughs) and that's usually what I tell people when I don't want to tell a story.
4: Good morning. Welcome to Blue Water. Thank you for joining us on our virtual service. You know, we're just a bunch of people who founded a church to encourage each other to be everyday people of TRY. We paint, we worship, we create, and we tell our stories to remind each other that we are made in the image of God. We give to overcome the world and We listen to God's story through scripture because God changes everything. We meet here on Sundays, and we also meet throughout the week in small groups where everybody can share. Uh, So why don't you join us in one of those small groups? Just go to our website and find one which is close to you or on meets on a day at your convenience. All right, let's give our tithe and offering Oh Father, we thank you uh, for the way in which you are sustaining our church. We thank you for the generosity of those in our church. Uh, We dedicate the offering to you. You can give in two ways, online or if you'd like to send a check, just send it via post to the office. We want to thank you all for giving in this season. Uh, Giving has been steady, so thank you for that. Uh, and because our costs have been lowered due to not renting out the gym, we're doing all right. Uh, all right, kids, let's stand up and we'll pray for you. Let's extend a hand of blessing. Oh, Father, we thank you for our children. We thank you that they remind us of what the kingdom of heaven is like and how to approach it. Lord, we bless their time uh, with your love, with your joy, and you delight in them. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.
0: Whenever I think about this particular life principle, I think about a sailing trip that I took back in the day when I lived in Boston. My landlord had just gotten this new boat and he was beginning an around-the-world voyage and he needed some uh, crew to help him get the boat from Boston to Bermuda. Uh, And so we were gonna uh, sail through the Bermuda Triangle. It was gonna be great. Um, I uh, was one of a couple guys uh, that were helping him crew the boat. Uh, We set sail from Boston. Uh, This was in the middle of autumn. And sure enough, we were struck with one of those nor'easter storms that is famous on the northeast coast. This radical ice storm, temperatures plunged below zero. The waves were enormous washing over the boat, and it was just a, a miserable night. Uh, I uh, grew up sailing, but I hadn't been on a boat at that point for about 10 years. I loved sailing, didn't get a chance to do it much, which is one of the reasons that I was super excited about this trip. Uh, but because I didn't have my sea legs under me, for the first time in my life that night, I got seasick. Never happened to me, but I was wretchedly ill. And if you've ever been seasick, You know, that it's like one of the worst feelings that you can have. You're just nauseous the whole time. You're vomiting. You're just feeling miserable. And in the midst of feeling miserable, we still had to sail the boat and endure the storm and the freezing temperatures and the ice driving in your face and all of that stuff. Right. So I was good and miserable. I was feeling embarrassed because I was sick. Uh, And uh, because I was uh, so sick and vomiting all the time, I took the watch in the middle of the night, just me against the elements, just totally exhausted and wretched. Um, And finally, a few hours uh, before uh, dawn, I got a chance to take a break and I went uh, down below and just flopped flat in my bunk so I wouldn't uh, feel the motion uh, quite so much. Just feeling awful. And so I prayed because I am a mature Christian guy. And that's what we spiritual giants do. Uh, But I don't think my prayers were very inspired. They're more like, oh, God, take me now. You know, something like that. Um, And then the Holy Spirit showed up. Uh, My tiny little bunk in the front of the boat being tossed against the sides of the hull. The Holy Spirit showed up. In a way that i had never experienced before and i have never experienced since then what happened is i felt his presence come into that little space and i became deliriously joyful i got this big smile on my face you know i felt like laughing like i never laugh i just just it's just not in me you know and i'm not a guy given to bouts of joy typically uh, i'm very very buttoned down, very monotone uh, in the way uh, I express emotion. Um, I was happy. And I just said that to myself over and over. I said, I'm just so stinking happy. I'm just so stinking happy. And I just sort of celebrated for about three hours. Three hours. Didn't sleep, didn't need to sleep. I just felt wonderful. Uh, and then gradually his spirit lifted. I rolled out a bunk and I went back on uh, to deck. I was no longer seasick. Uh, everything was fine. The storm abated. We survived the Bermuda Triangle and I spent a couple of warm days in Bermuda fine out. And the lesson of that story for me was that the spirit overcomes circumstances even when he doesn't. Does that make sense? Like in the midst of these miserable circumstances. In the midst of me feeling miserable, somehow the Spirit overcame it without changing any of those circumstances. I just felt so right and so happy because I was experiencing the presence and power of God. Nothing changed except the presence of God coming into that little space. Things don't have to be perfect to make things miraculously better. Does that make sense? Things don't have to be perfect for things to be miraculously better. And if you understand that, I think that there's a a nugget of faith in it for you. Don't ever let your suffering or disappointment get in the way of your faith. I'll say that again. Don't ever let your suffering or your disappointment get in the way of your faith. And if the faith can happen in the midst of the trouble, uh, then you're as likely to see a miracle as not. We are uh, winding up a sermon series from the book of Acts. Uh, The last part of Acts is basically a study in the life of the Apostle Paul as he spreads Christianity, the Jesus message, and the church all around the world as uh, the church has kind of gone from the Middle East into uh, Europe now, uh, thanks to some of of Paul's ministry. At this point in the story, uh, in chapter 27, chapter 28 of the book, uh, if you've been following along, you know that Paul has been unjustly imprisoned for long about three years at this point. So he's been in prison unjustly, trumped up charges through betrayals for about three years. And uh, at the end of that time, he is being shipped to Rome in order to stand trial in Caesar's court. He has appealed to the Supreme Court of the Roman Empire. And so he is on his way to Rome. And what happens is that Roman officials, they decide to stick him on a boat and they're going to literally ship him uh, uh, to Rome. So this is going down in Acts chapter 27. Uh, And as they are about to uh, board the ship for the leg of the journey to Rome, Paul gets a prophetic sense and he speaks to the captain and the crew of this sailing vessel. And he says to them, uh, chapter 27, verse 10, Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and of the owner of the ship. They get on board and they set sail anyway, even though Paul the apostle has had a prophetic vision. He said, I see that this leg of the journey is not going to go well. Uh, The ship, the cargo is going to be lost and we're all going to die, I think. Um, So that must have been encouraging for Paul. If we get on the ship and set sail, We're all going to die. But he's in chains. There's nothing you can do about it. So on the ship they go. How would you feel in that moment if you're Paul? He's like, well, first all the suffering, then all the unfair imprisonment. And now I'm getting on a boat and sailing away to my death. Well, at least heaven is coming soon. You know, something like that. And sure enough, they get caught in a raging storm and they lose their cargo and despair of their lives. They get caught. For weeks, they get pushed in front of this storm. There's nothing that they can do about it at sea. And at that point, Paul could have bitterly thought, well, it figures. It figures it's all going to end this way. Uh, The prison could have worn down his soul. Uh, The prophecy could have worn down his soul. And I know from experience that just Life at sea in the midst of a storm can wear down your soul. Everybody is probably feeling super miserable. But the story picks up. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. So he starts with a little, yeah, I told you so. Uh, which uh, I do not begrudge him in the least. But he continues. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. So in a vision, he's seeing that uh, the ship is going to run aground on some random island, but nobody is going to die. And the angel of the Lord has said, you're going to get to stand trial before Caesar Uh, It's a rough trip, but don't sweat it. When I read this part of the story, I can't help but think of like my own experience in that little miserable uh, bunk space on that boat where the spirit entered and said, you know, hey, be happy. And what a difference that can make. Paul thinks he's going to die, but the angel has shown up and said, oh, no, no, you misinterpreted that sense. You're not going to die, Paul. Uh, There's going to be a form of disaster but you're gonna be fine. I'm taking you to Rome, just like I said I would. Don't sweat it. And because I love you, I'm gonna give you the lives of everybody who travels with you. You are their vessel of safety, even though the ship vessel is going to be destroyed. Uh, So that must have been uh, encouraging to him, at least, and to some of the crew as well. Sure enough, a little while later, uh, they spy uh, an island and uh, they are moving toward it. Uh, Some of the veteran sailors feel like the ship might be dashed against the rocks. Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, uh, it says in the account, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight, so that they could make a daylight run. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow, the front of the ship. So what they're doing there is they're taking one of the lifeboats and they're going to strike out for the island because it's easier to navigate a reef in a small little lifeboat than a big ship. So some of the sailors are abandoning ship to save their own skins, in other words, and let the others die on the big ship when it hits a rock. But Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it drift away. They committed. They're going to let the lifeboat drift away. Um, There's a powerful life principle in that, right? Uh, If the sailors join with Paul, they're safe. But if they go their own way, if they grasp at straws, if they try to provide their own salvation, then they lose God's covering. Paul is the vessel of their blessing in this instance. And and that is a good rule of life. Life crises sometimes make you want to grasp at independent opportunities that look like comfort, that look like salvation, uh, or that offer um, some sort of immediate means of escape. Um, Better to stick with the people of God. Better to stick with the people of faith. That's the way to navigate home safely. Uh, As a reward for cutting away the lifeboat and sticking with Paul and going what he says, the ship moves toward the land and hits a sandbar. In the story, they are stuck and the ship begins to break apart on that sandbar just as some of the sailors had feared The soldiers at that point move to kill Paul and the other prisoners because they don't want them to somehow uh, escape the situation if they can't. Uh, But the, uh, the captain intervenes and spares everyone's life and says stick with Paul. What happens is that some of them swim to shore safely and others of them use the bits of debris from the ship and they just sort of float to shore safely. And in that way, all 276 people on the ship are saved. Paul's prophecy comes true. They lose their ship, but this is a pretty miraculous outcome uh, for them. It's a miraculous outcome, but a rough one snaps for Paul and his faith. That's the shipwreck story. And then finally, finally, it looks like things begin to stabilize and that Paul indeed is going to make it to Rome. And the next chapter of his story will continue. And that's where we're going to pick up reading in Scripture today. This is the beginning of Acts chapter 28. I'm just going to read verses 1 through 10. This is what happens next. After all of this misery, after these strange setbacks, and this miraculous deliverance, they finally make it. Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. Well, we know about Malta, not a bad place to be shipwrecked. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Some friendly islanders helped them survive. Paul, gathered a pile of brushwood for the fire. And as he put it on the fire, a viper driven out by the heat fastened itself on his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, this man must be a murderer for though he escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He's been bitten by this venomous snake. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. Have to clean up their theology a little bit, but good for them. There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island, this Roman official. He welcomed us to his home and for three days entertained us hospitably. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and, after prayer, placed his hands on him and healed him. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honored us in many ways, and when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies that we needed. So how about that? Interesting story. Just when things looked up, like they had made it uh, to this island safely, the islanders welcomed, in, welcomed them in, gather them around a fire to save them from the cold. Paul, always a servant, always a servant, decides that he's gonna be the one that goes out and gathers some extra brushwood to throw on the fire. And in the process, a viper comes out of the wood, uh, evidently a, a very deadly snake because the islanders were just sure that he was gonna die. Uh, bites them. What would your reaction have been at that point? You're cold, you're miserable, you're tired, you've just barely made it to the beach, uh, holding on to a piece of wreckage, you know, and then you get bitten by a snake for Pete's sake. I guess they didn't say Pete's sake uh, then, but you know, for Paul's sake. It was another, "ah, oh, well, that figures sort of moment for Paul. I don't know that I would have taken it. I would have been so frustrated. I would have been on my last nerve. But Paul shakes it off. I mean, he, he literally just kind of eh, shrugs off. It's as if he doesn't notice that he's just been bitten by a deadly snake. It's like, ah, well, huh, how about that fire, boys? You know, something like that he behaves as if nothing happens, barely notices, but the others do. And they're like, "Ah, you're going to die. You're going to die. You didn't die. You are a god. (laughs) You know, you must be one of those uh, Greek gods uh, taken fleshly form. I don't know exactly what what went through Paul's head uh, during this snake episode. I guess he remembered that he had been promised passage to Rome, that his his uh, appointment was with Caesar in the Supreme Court of Rome. In any case, he just, he just shrugs off the venomous snake. He doesn't make a big deal about it. He doesn't put holy water on it. He doesn't gather a prayer circle and go through a lot of rigmarole. He's just like, and moves on. The biggest miracle in this story comes via a shrug. And I think life is sometimes like that too. You know, it's a matter of what you let get to you and what you don't. Sometimes the biggest miracles come from just kind of shrugging off a setback, from choosing to not notice something instead of freaking out about that thing. That's a very powerful sort of response. It's like a holy form of denial. And Paul engages it. And then more miracles follow. As Paul heals uh, Publius' father. And all of the islanders bring their sick. And it just becomes a healing service. And I see a principle in this as well. Our faith in the midst of our own crises. Becomes faith for deliverance for people out of their crises. It's the same faith after all, is it not? If you can conquer your own crises in faith then you have the authority the wherewithal to deliver people miraculously from their crises in life. Amen? Great story! I am usually heavy-hearted about something in life. Usually. I am almost always struggling with some sort of tough situation. I'm usually quite heavy hearted. Part of this is by temperament. Uh like I often say, I'm a naturally uh, I naturally tend toward the depressive in life. Um, but often it is a matter of circumstance as well. I am hard pressed to think of a time in my life in which I have been struggle free. It Seems like there's always something tough going on, and in my life, there's usually been something major going on that's been tough. Jesus said, "In this world, you will have trials and tribulations," and uh, and I would have to say, "Amen" to that. I have never experienced situational peace. Like I'd be really, really hard pressed to find a time in my life that I could say about which I could say. Oh, that was just a a struggle-free period. That was situationally peaceful. Man, what what a peaceful time that was. So instead, what I have to do is I have to leverage peace that comes from faith instead of peace that comes from situation. And that sort of faith is faith that I have to choose. And it is only ever by choosing to experience faith in the midst of my struggles that I have power to do kingdom things. I don't know if that's been true for you. It's been true for me. I'll say it again. It is only ever by choosing faith in the midst of struggles that I have ever had power to do kingdom things in this world. I am constantly choosing either to live out of my desperation or to live out of my faith. And at any given moment, I have reasons to go either way. And what determines my life is which side I choose. And that's just that's just life. That's the nature of kingdom life. I long ago learned that I don't have to have good circumstances to experience God's presence and power. You don't have to have good circumstances to experience, find a way for you. Let me ask you, mature believers, what's the last thing God told you to do? What's the last thing God told you to do? Have you done it? Or are you consistently doing it? Super important question in troubling times. Or what has he told you about the big thing that you're called to do in the world? You know, if it's not some specific thing that he's told you to do, has he given you a sense of, you know, what your life is for? What, what your individual life should be about? What your particular sort of ministry is? It could be helpful. To remember when the chips are down, you'd better remember what the Lord has called you to do, or you might lose your way. You might get distracted by all the sandbars and the shipwrecks and the snakes that come out of nowhere to, to inject you with toxins. Now, we don't need super specific guidance from God, the scripture gives us lots of general guidance about our lives, the scripture tells us to always be light, to always be salt, uh, to never fear, to never have anxiety about material things, to always be ready to speak up for Jesus. The scripture is loaded with all of these general directions in life. And if nothing else, we should constantly be honoring them and pursuing them. But if you do have a specific word of direction from the Holy Spirit, whether it's small and focused or large and navigational, remember that word right now. Remember that's where you're headed, no matter what gets in the way. Remember that word because I guarantee you, God remembers that word. God remembers. Maybe he'll help you remember in prayer. Where are you headed? Let me just ask you, where are you headed in life? Where's the next place you're headed in life? What's the next thing that you're convicted to do? Now, when I ask that question, some of you will have an answer in your heart. You'll just know, oh, I'm supposed to do, and you'll just know. Not everybody will have that sense right now, but some of you will. Okay, then. Get there with faith. Get there with faith. Not with second-guessing and not with anxiety. Get there with faith. No matter what has gone wrong and no matter what stands in the way, don't ever let your suffering and disappointment stand in the way of your faith. Faith is the way forward. For you and everybody who has the good fortune to be around you, that is your privilege as a child of the Lord. Don't ever let your suffering or disappointment get in the way of your faith. Don't ever let your misery stop you from doing miracles. Don't ever let hardship make you forget where you're headed. We get the theme? The angel of the Lord stands near you right now. He has come to give you courage and power to overcome and to press through and to bring others along with you if you just dare believe it. Father God, we are just your children. You lead us through uh, the, the peaks and the valleys of life. You navigate us through every storm, every setback, every viper attack, every unjust imprisonment, every public opposition every private doubt and we dare to believe lord that we are headed somewhere that you have a specific calling for each individual life and we dare to embrace it we stand on it even if everything else in the world is wishy-washy and we know that as a people we have a calling that there is nothing happening that will destroy the vessel of faith even though other worldly vessels might fall apart around us. We uh, commit as a fellowship to shrug off the attacks of the enemy, to not worry unduly about things that Jesus told us not to worry about. We pray, Lord, that in the midst of our struggle and disappointment uh, we would nonetheless minister miracles to the folks around us and see miraculous progress in our own life and I just think that's a promise for the fellowship for you listening right now you will experience a miracle of progress in your own life even if you have no no glimmer of how you're going to reach the next shore safely Progress itself can be a miracle of God. Progress, people. Take it as an inheritance from your Father right now. All right, Lord, I just pray that you would uh, send angels to people who need specific fortification and encouragement. We're going to make it, Lord. Just be with us. We pray for your presence and power in the midst. In Jesus' name, everybody says. Amen. Amen. Hey
3: everyone, thanks for watching today's service. This week I found out that my school is shutting down and it didn't make me feel that good. But today I made an apple pie. So whenever you're feeling down or lost, make sure to talk to God about it and do something that makes you feel better. Bye.